You're listening to The HR Bartender Show, a casual place to talk about all things work. Here's where you get practical advice about how to be a better employee, manager, and leader in today's workplace. So grab your favorite beverage, pull up a stool, and join us in the conversation. The bar is always open. Now, here's your host, Charlene Lauby. Hi, everyone. Thanks for being here. I'm your host, Charlene Lauby, author of the blog, HR Bartender. Before we get started today, I want to take a moment to thank our founding sponsor, Ultimate Kronos Group, also known as UKG. To be a powerfully productive business, you need powerfully happy people. Two leaders in workforce management and HR have joined forces to become UKG, Ultimate Kronos Group. With comprehensive HR solutions, they'll help you create more meaningful connections within your workforce that will make your people smile. UKG, our purpose is people. Welcome back, everyone. We're recording a mini season of the HR Bartender Show focused on talent and technology. And I am super excited to speak with today's guest. Dan Chabelle is a New York Times bestselling author and managing partner of Workplace Intelligence, a research and advisory firm helping HR adapt to trends, drive performance, and prepare for the future. Long considered a go-to authority on HR, talent, and leadership, Dan has spent his career researching and advising on workplace and career success. Through dozens of studies, he has exposed some of the biggest work trends of our time, including the skills gap, the four-day work week, the burnout epidemic, which have been highlighted as cover stories on the Wall Street Journal, Money Magazine, and HR Magazine. In today's business world, there's just so much information out there that we don't know what to trust and we don't know how to use it. That's why I asked Dan to join us today because he has a he has a talent for just cutting through the clutter and giving us workplace intelligence backed by real data and powerful stories. So Dan, thanks for being here. While we're recording this conversation in the middle of a pandemic, things are changing every day. So I want to start the conversation with a takeaway. What's one thing you've learned over the past year that's going to become a part of your next normal? I think that's a great question. And to respond to that, I'll say the importance of location. So we just did a study with WeWork of a thousand C-suite and a thousand employees in the US. And we're trying to investigate where people wanted to spend their time. And the answer was in multiple locations. And to me, that just validates what I was thinking over the past year. We knew that eventually we would, or some of us would want to return to spaces like an office space, a corporate headquarters, a co-working space. And I think now we're at a point where people are going to be dividing their time between multiple spaces. So the big finding was that people want to spend about a third of their time in a corporate headquarters, about a third of their time at home, and about a third of their time in third places. So a third place is a co-working space or a cafe, for instance. So I think what this boils down to and what we found is over 90% of people want more control over how, when, and where they do work. And that is deeply human, meaning that as human beings, we want more control and freedom in our lives. And therefore, when we approach work or when we approach life, that's something that is at the core of who we are and what we want. And as I reflect on that, I think about how I work and how I'll want to work in the future. And I think it will be 
changing the setting. I, th- I think you and I, you know, we've had good speaking careers. We've gone to a lot of HR conferences and, and other conferences and companies. And part of what makes traveling and speaking special is you're in different places and in, in different spaces that create situations where you're meeting people and you're more creative and you're taking in new ideas. And that kind of brings new meaning to life. And it's more data that you can use to advance yourself and have a better scope of how the world's changing. So in short, what I've learned through my experience and what I've learned through real research is the importance of location for accomplishing work and connecting. You know, you were talking about how we get our work done. And I think one of the reasons that we're able to do what we do is because of technology. Do you see organizations being able to, or, you know, making the investment, increasing the use of their technology over, you know, let's say the short term, the one next one to five years? And if so, where are they going to make those expenditures? Oh, my God. I could talk to you for the next four hours. But just about this topic, we did a study with the show's sponsor, UKG, last year. And that study we did was really fascinating for a few reasons. One of them is we found, and you know, it's validated through a study EY did and various others, PwC, a lot of companies have, have, uh, have found the same conclusion is COVID was the green light when it came to the prioritization and execution of investing and deploying technologies. Right. So all these companies, they, you know, have a list of priorities that they, you know, focus on every year. And and some of these big technological trends like artificial intelligence, employee, you know, monitoring, you know, technology, that was kind of towards the bottom of those lists. COVID raised those all the way up. And at the same time, what at the bottom of the CEO's list was employee engagement. That went from the bottom to the top number one position. So that just shows you how much things have changed and accelerated. And what you were saying before is actually so important. 30 years ago, if we had a pandemic like the one we just experienced over the past one year plus, the unemployment rate would be so much higher. So technology has supported half, about half of the entire workforce, because the other half of the workforce doesn't have the ability to work remote. So I think it's it's a cross between essential slash hourly workers, people who work in a warehouse, a pharmacy, supermarkets, and then you know those people have to be in physical spaces so they can't work from home. And then remote workers are basically knowledge workers. So I think over the past year, we've seen not just, you know, people have been more interested in hybrid in terms of where they work and having freedom and flexibility, but it's COVID has revealed that we have a hybrid workforce as well. People are in various situations, you know, geographically, but in terms of, you know, having to be in one place or the other based on their role, department, and uh, the nature of the work. So I think that there, there has been massive changes and technology has been the underpin, the, the kind of safety net, the enabler that allows people to continue to work. And I think that the, if you look at the top skills that people acquired over the past year, it's all digital skills. Therefore, you could argue that people are now, COVID has forced people into a situation where they had to acquire and 
advance in all these technology skills because they had no choice. So it goes back to what we were saying about being a human being. When you have no choice, you figure things out. And companies were saving money in real estate and needing to enable their workers with the right technology so that they could be able to continue their operations. Therefore, some companies like Salesforce, I know, and various other companies invested and gave a stipend to people working from home so that they could continue to work in, in that same capacity in terms of office equipment and technology and Wi-Fi. So there was a, a level of support from a lot of the bigger companies, especially to get people up to speed. But I think that we're better equipped now if something were to happen in the future. And I think that there is no going back. Pandora's box is open and it's hard for a manager to make a case of why someone needs to be in the physical office five days a week. And it's hard to make a case against technology not being an important part of how we work and the advancement of that technology as being a key part. And here's what's really fascinating. I'll end with this because a lot of the study we did last year with UKG was around trust and how critical trust is for employee engagement, employee experience, et cetera, is at the same time that more and more people were working remote, remote work topped out at like the high 60s, low 70s between May and like August or so of last year. At the same time, more and more people said that they work remote at least sometimes based on a Gallup poll, the amount of investment in employee monitoring increased. So what does that tell us? That tells us that organizations do not trust remote workers out of sight, out of mind, not just in terms of potentially getting a promotion, which I'm investigating more in the next six months, but also but also in terms of levels of trust. So I think, and in the UKG study, we found that remote workers are less trusted than office workers. So I love piecing everything together to understand why investments are made and you know how, it, how one trend affects other trends. And that's one of my conclusions is that with the advent of remote work, at the same time, there was an investment, more of investment employee monitoring because there was a lack of trust. So if you're a leader, if you're anyone, part of the goal for maintaining employment and advancing is building trust. I have a tendency to think of tech in a couple of different categories. Um, so first of all, there's the technology solution that helps the business operate better. You know, think of better accounting software or supply chain software. And then there are solutions that help employees do their jobs. And so you're, you know, you're talking about remote work and digital skills and employee performance. I'm wondering, are organizations focused on the latter? And that is giving employees better technology so that they can deliver results. You know, would that have an impact on the trust conversation if employees have the technology to deliver better results? Are organizations making the connection? Great question. Yes and no. Like, I love the argument of people saying that remote workers are less engaged, they're less a, a productive, they're more distracted, because it's just not true. You know, there's not one study that shows that remote workers are less productive. In fact, every single study, and there's a lot, and I've published three out of the, you know, 20 or 50 studies around this, it all points to people are more productive, right? And But there's a cost to all that productivity, and that's burnout. And so all the technology, like, I, I don't know if you've experienced this, even though I've worked remote for like 11 years now, all this screen time, there's no way it can be good for you. 
And I have a lot of friends that like literally get sick from it. And I remember at the start of COVID, I was in this, you know, massive Zoom with like 50 people. And I had like to tell a story. And I was on it and playing trivia afterwards for like two hours. I was so sick. And I was sick the next morning too. And to me, that's feedback that shows, hey, like we don't even know. Like there's no, you know, we're not going to know to like 40 years out if all this technology when we, when we were younger had an impact on our health long term. We don't know because it's advancing so quick. So we have no idea how this is all going to impact. And so getting back to more of what you're saying about corporations and technology, I think they want to advance technology because it's not just good for workers to have the latest and greatest, but they need to compete too, right? And if they're not adopting it, there was a whole study by Intel and Dell. They, I think they do this every year. And they asked a question, I remember a few years ago, and it rang true. It has more to do with like the office, but like office technology, like if you go into a, a physical office, a corporate headquarters, and it doesn't feel technologically advanced in terms of being able to book conference rooms and just like the latest like laptops and all this stuff, you're less likely to work for that company. Mm -hmm. So there is a perception that lower quality tech or not having advanced tech creates uh, this uh, view that the company is not relevant. And if you're irrelevant as a company or an individual, you're in big trouble. You really are because no one, people stop caring about you, buying from you. People don't want to work for you as much anymore. Like you start winding down, especially because things are advancing so much. So if you look at the Fortune 500 list now versus 10 years ago versus 50 years ago, it kind of keeps changing. And uh, you, a lot of the biggest companies now are technology companies. And and I remember the, you know, I interviewed Brian Chesky, who's the founder of Airbnb, and he said that every technology, every company is either a technology company or will be one. I read a study that talked about companies that have outdated technology, employees spend their time doing workarounds, and that that's a contributor to stress and burnout. Because it keeps, you know, if I spend all my time doing workarounds, I don't get enough time to do my work. And so there's this like, you know, never-ending cycle of I don't get to catch up, I don't get to do my best work because I'm spending my time doing workarounds where technology is concerned. You know, you and I sat on a panel recently talking about employee performance. And I liked your comments about the future of performance management. So I was wondering if you would share a little bit here about how you see technology playing a role in managing performance. I think we're on the same page at the higher level where, yeah, giving feedback along the way is important so there's no surprises. And that an annual performance review, if done right, might not be the worst thing, right? But it also, again, goes back to an employee's responsibility is. They need to collect their own data. People need to start collecting more data. So I think where you're going with this and what I believe in as a data nerd who's done, you know, and end of this year will be 60 research studies, is collecting data. And technology is getting more and more sophisticated, allowing us to collect data about our actions, our results, and the the different projects we do. And that's valuable because performance reviews can be very easy if along the way you've collected all this data and you've measured the results of everything you've done. Because then once you get to the performance review, and as well as getting feedback along the way, it's kind of already written for you. Mm -hmm. You know, it's almost like saving a project to the last minute. If you say a book is a great example. 
you could either write a page a day or five pages a day, or you know, a week before it's due, you write the whole thing. I want to circle back to something that you said a little bit earlier about the conversation on trust, because when we're talking about performance management, and you know, you just alluded to it, your performance review should not be a surprise to you. You know how you've performed over the past year. If you're getting good conversations from your managers and your coworkers, you should know what your performance review is going to look like. You've done a lot of research. You've mentioned some of the research that you've done regarding trust in the workplace. How do we help organizations bridge the gap, the trust gap, where remote and hybrid work is going? You know, if if I'm an employee and I want to spend a third of my time in the office and a third of my time working from home and a third of my time, you know, by, at a pool in the Caribbean and I can still get my work done, how do I bridge the gap so that my manager knows I'm still delivering and doesn't have to wonder whether or not Charlene is going to, you know, meet her deadlines and, you know, do all that stuff? I revert back to what Aetna did back in the day. It was in the Wall Street Journal about how you couldn't work remote unless you proved yourself to your manager in six months. Now, I don't know if six months is the right amount of time or not, but I do kind of like that idea, right? Because just as someone who's hired people, like I like to, I like to feel comfortable with them first. And then that trust is built so that if it doesn't matter where they're working as much anymore. Right. So I, I do understand that perspective. And it's, it is like I was saying in, in part of the UKG study is harder to build trust remotely. It just is like if you're in person with something with someone, you get a different feeling for who they are that you wouldn't get remotely, even with video conferencing. It's just a different experience that can't be replaced. So I think about people I've interviewed who are leaders at big companies like American Express. Like I talked to one leader there and, you know, she, was in her office, but she would travel and meet people from all around the world. And so like at some point, the in-person does matter a lot in terms of building that trust. But really what it comes down to is communication. And if you're a remote worker, since you're not seen and heard like in a physical location around your colleagues and manager, that means you have to double down on communication. You know, you have to communicate way more because you're not with them. And and you have to be even smarter with what we were saying before. This connects to your last question about performance reviews. You have to be even more mindful about the work you're doing and what you're accomplishing. Because again, people are not seeing you in person. So I think it. I think working remote requires more effort in that respect, which could play a role into why people are working harder and longer when they work remote and there's less work-life boundaries. Because I think instinctively you feel like more is expected of you. Do you think that the past year has been helpful to managers in understanding that remote work is a possibility? I mean, I have to say, you know, I've had people tell me I had no idea that we could get work done remotely. And we, you know, we've always been an organization that it's been all about the in-person experience. And we were really wrong. We were really wrong. We didn't think that we could operate this way. I mean, I, it goes back to what I was saying before. Hybrid makes the most sense in as long as it's doable at the company. But, you know, if you're a factory worker, hybrid doesn't really make much sense. But 
we did a whole study with a company called My Work Choice of a thousand hourly workers and a thousand thousand HR leaders back in January. And the one of the most common questions I get asked about flexibility over the years is, okay, what do we do for warehouse workers? What do we do for people who work at supermarkets or people who work in hospitals? And the answer based on the research is flexible hours. So it kind of goes back to this idea of like, people want flexibility, people have inherent needs and are different phases of their life cycle. You have a kid, you don't have a kid, you're married, you live alone. Like everyone's in, you know, based on their age, based on where they are in their life, they have different needs. You know, the big one that came out over the past year and that's still an issue is women f- have fallen behind, you know, over one one to two million of uh, women have dropped out of the workforce, mostly due to childcare responsibilities. And so, you know, if we can let them work remote and give them more flexibility, that might help, you know, and, and, and offer more, you know, uh, maternal leave. Hey, maybe they stay with us longer. Maybe that's good for that demographic, you know, of women. So I think that we have to be more thoughtful, not just from a high level of, you know, having a flexible, agile workplace, offering the right technologies, but also from an individual level. Like, I think that's where we're going. And I, and I honestly think that's where technology is going to have a huge impact right? Like how do we create, it's not just about creating an employee experience. Like when we say employee experience, we're thinking about like for everyone, right? But is that really going to be effective moving forward? I think everything just like Amazon is going to be customized to meet the needs of individuals because everyone has different needs at different points in time and those could change. So how do you keep track of where people are? You need more communication, but I also think technology can kind of help customize the experience per person and and uh, also notify people of what you're doing when. So that's another reason why I think employee monitoring will continue to gain traction too, is because it's going to get harder to know where people are, what they're doing. And like, in some respect, it's like this, this uh, you know, it's, it's privacy versus flexibility. And I think there's a battle between both. Well, I think that you've opened like a whole new conversation there and talking about the balance between trust and privacy and flexibility. But I want to be respectful of your time. So here's my last question. I'm confident that organizations are focused on economic recovery right now. If you could make one suggestion to the organizations and employees out there that will help them in the months to come as we're maneuvering through all of this, what would it be? So the thing that I've been looking at the most, which has really fascinated me, is the fact that because people are still collecting unemployment because the job market is astronomically well right now. So it's the largest jobs gap I think I've ever seen in my career. There's 8.3 million unfilled jobs with a potential up to 8 million more being created in the next year or so by the Biden administration. So the power has shifted from corporation and employer to employee. And we know this based on corporate actions. Like, how corporations respond to the job market tells us everything we need to know. And I'll give you an example. Just today, Bank of America commits to raising its minimum wage to $25. You know, Pinterest is going to, you know, support more female executives. Like there's so many examples of things that are going on. Walmart is converting two-thirds of their workers to full-time employees. Like this is happening because employees are gaining more power right now. It's not just happening because these employers are like, let's be nice to people. 
No, it's because they're forced to make changes. JP Morgan came out and they said, hey, we need to really focus on increasing employee engagement and building a better employee experience for people. Every day, more and more companies are coming out with new employee benefits, raising wages, giving more flexibility. And I think that that is what's going to happen anyways, right? And it shouldn't be during this period of time when companies do this, even though it puts pressure on them to make changes. I think the smartest companies already have all this in place. Like I'll give you an example. Like B. Darden. Darden at the beginning of the pandemic was like, we're going to take care of our people. We're going to make sure they continue to get paid and, and help them with unemployment and, and all of that. So like get ahead of these things instead of like waiting for, you know, the job market just to change. Like how much do companies have to change if they've already changed? You know, and so they have the leg up because 40%, it was a whole Microsoft study of like tens of thousands of, of workers in the country and f- over 40% of people are looking for to change careers or jobs in the coming months. To me, that's a signal. Hey, we have to, you know, really help our employees right now. So I think that from an organizational employer perspective, it's let's not just do things right now and then take them away when the job market changes again. Let's like start to do the right things and commit to long lasting change. So regardless of what happens, people know they're being taken care of. And that to me is the best retention strategy. If you lose 40% of your workers, hiring you know this, hiring is very tough. It's rough right now. And it's costly. So like you can prevent and and save so much money by doing the right things. I, I would also say paid time off is extremely important. You know, promote paid time off. Give people a vacation. Incentive, PwC is paying their employees to take vacation days, right? Like we've gotten to that point because one of the top reasons why people are leaving their jobs is because they're burned out. And when they're burned out, they start to think about, especially in a good economy, huh, maybe I should go work at another company. So get around this. Get around this because I feel like all companies are short-sighted and, or not all companies. A lot of companies are short-sighted. So why not do the right things now? Commit to positive change long-term because it'll end up saving you money. Like I, f- I feel like we just pound this in and pound this in all the time, but it's just another example right now. Everyone's like rushing, oh, we need to pay more. We need to offer these benefits. Like do the right thing in the first place and have a longer term strategy, regardless of, you know, if we're, we're in a down market, a good economy, whatever we're, we're in, have a, a longer term, you know, outlook. And then for employees, I do think it's important to take this time, you know, people spent the past year or so contemplating what they want to do. It is you know, truthfully, a great time to start to put feelers out there and see what other opportunities are if you're unhappy or really, I think everyone every year needs to assess where they are and where they, where they want to go and, and ask themselves, if, is this the right position for me? Or maybe I should try something else. So there's going to be a lot of change for good, but as an employee, you need to start taking action and and at least seeing what see what your value is in the marketplace now. It's a nice little assessment. And then for an employer is to have this longer term view and and offering people things that are going to help them forever, I guess, rather than having a short-term perspective. Let's briefly give a few more dollars. Let's briefly have a mental health program. Like, no, it's like, how do we just have this as part of our our value package? so that we can hold on to people even longer and we don't have to we don't get questioned as oh like they're coming to our rescue now where were they 6 months ago exactly so i know that was a long response 
That was a great response. But it was a reflection from both sides of the both employee and employer. And like, you know, based on everything that I've seen in the market over the past forever. <laughs> and they have to balance out. Yeah. That's if you can if you can find if organizations can find employees, you know, if organizations where they're at can find employees where they're at, you know, it's it's that sync up that really creates a winning culture. I think a lot of times where you see a disengagement in organizations isn't always necessarily because the company is doing something bad or the employees aren't working or performing at a high level. It's because they're not synced up on where they want to go, where the company wants to go and where the employee wants to go. So you often just see that divergence and you know it creates disengagement in the organization. Absolutely. You said it way better than I did. <laughs> I want to give you a big thanks and cheers for sharing your insights with us. But I also want to ask you one last question. I know you have a new project that you're working on. So do you want to take a second and share with listeners a little bit about your new project? Absolutely. So we created the Workplace Intelligence Marketplace. And as part of that marketplace, we have a, what are we calling the plus newsletter? So it's the premium version of our Workplace Intelligence Weekly newsletter that people have been reading on LinkedIn, 166,000 subscribers, giving people more in-depth analysis, taking it to that next level of like actionable advice using the research that we have so that people make better decisions about their career and their organization. And we also have, we're going to be offering white papers. We're going to, we have a whole expertise exchange. So like you can connect with various experts to further your organization using their insights and advice. And we're really looking to help educate people in the industry. We know that things are constantly changing. And, you know, we spend seven days a week, every week, examining trends, understanding them, making the connections. You know, this is so important because things are changing fast and not everyone can have their full-time job be examining trends. That's how I look at it. I mean, that's what the value proposition has become, Sherilyn. It's like, if you're an executive at a company, there's no way you're going to be able to spend 100 hours a week examining trends. So we do that for them, simplify it, and then bring the best and the brightest to be able to add another level of support as they try and you know enter this brave new world of work. Well, we'll be sure to put a link in the show notes so that um, people can check it out. And again, thanks, Dan, for being here and sharing your insights with us. I know everyone is really appreciative of you sharing your time and your expertise. Thank you so much. Listeners, please don't leave just yet. I'm looking forward to sharing my takeaways with you in just a moment. To be a powerfully productive business, you need powerfully happy people. Two leaders in workforce management and HR have joined forces to become UKG, Ultimate Kronos Group. UKG creates comprehensive HR solutions designed to make employees happier and build more meaningful connections within your workforce. They've even done that for themselves, being recognized as one of the top places to work. And UKG's 12,000 employees help thousands of businesses build better cultures every day. When you're ready to make your people happier, UKG is ready to work for you. UKG, our purpose is people. Thanks again, everyone, for listening to the HR Bartender Show. I thought this episode with Dan was particularly insightful because I think he honed in on the word balance. When we're talking about tech and technology, 
not only are we talking about the balance that we have as individuals to make sure that we're not spending all of our time in front of a screen, that, you know, our talents are being used holistically, if you will, on all the different things that we contribute to in the organization. So creating that sense of balance so we don't get burned out and that we're communicating with other individuals and we're doing all of the things that we're supposed to be doing. But I thought the the conversation about balance in terms of flexibility and privacy and trust was particularly interesting. Organizations are going to need to figure out how to create that balance. You know, as we talk more about a hybrid workforce and we spend time talking about how do we get things done and how great technology is in enabling all of those things to happen, we also want to make sure that we respect an individual's privacy. This isn't about being on, if you will, 24-7-365. People can get burned out that way. It's not about invading people's privacy. It's about trusting people. It's about setting good expectations. It's about telling people, giving them the tools to get things done, and then holding them accountable for results. So as we're talking about flexibility and accountability, we'll want to keep that more in mind balance. If you like the episode, I hope you'll also check out my conversation with Mark Wales, where we spend some time talking about workforce management. And I can see the balance conversation coming into play there as well. You know, the balance between staffing and scheduling, the balance between all the different departments of an organization getting involved in the workforce management conversation. So thanks again for listening. Until next time, cheers. Thanks for listening to the HR Bartender Show. To make sure you don't miss a single episode, subscribe on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you go for the very best podcast productions. While you're there, we'd love it if you would rate the show and leave us a review. The HR Bartender Show is an ITM group presentation produced by HR Bartender and your host, Charlene Lauby. Remember, people, Work responsibly.